Let me invite you to get your Bible. We're going to be looking at several scriptures together tonight. I'm going to conclude the series that I started several, I guess, months ago now, on Sunday evening, on, that I entitled, They Called Him Rabbi, looking at some of the teachings of Jesus and trying to apply those to us and how we can better do that. And the one tonight is a response to a request after one of the, I guess, maybe after the when the time that I announced the the series, someone came to me after services and said, would you address a certain uh, teaching of Jesus? And Jesus, twice in his ministry, made a similar statement or a statement that has the same uh, basis. Once uh, he said to his disciples, or to the Pharisees actually, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then on another occasion, he said it in a little bit different way. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So I want to explore tonight that statement by Jesus. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. To do that, I want to go to the two contexts where he used it first and then go to the Old Testament where he quotes from and then go to a passage in Matthew that I think is at least in part a commentary on what this particular passage means. So go with me first of all to Matthew the ninth chapter. And we want to begin reading in the ninth verse, Matthew 9 and verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's explore that just a little bit together. We have a situation that, that we're not really that familiar with, probably in our culture, in our time, but the Pharisees were very meticulous in keeping all of the, the so-called laws, and most of these were traditions of the elders. And if they came into the presence of tax collectors and sinners, and that was their terminology for them, those that were not Pharisees, those who did not believe as they believed, those that were outcasts, they refused to eat with them because they considered them as unclean. They hadn't washed their hands properly. They hadn't gone through all the formalities of, of being clean. And the Pharisees, being meticulous about their remaining clean, didn't want to dirty themselves by being in the presence 
of unclean people, particularly eating with them, because eating with someone at that particular time was also a way of saying, I agree with you. Their question was, why do your disciples, or why do you eat with these unclean people over here? Jesus' response to them, go and learn what it means that I desire mercy and not sacrifice probably need to define some terms there. Mercy, as it's used there, is better probably, from our perspective now, called sympathy. Concern for someone. Not mercy in the sense of extending grace to them, not mercy in the sense of the Old Testament word hesed. But there was a Greek word that had come, been translated into the, the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that was more about pity and sympathy and concern for people. So he says, go and learn what it means to be concerned or sympathetic toward these people as opposed to sacrifice. And sacrifice, as he uses it there, is going through a ritual cleansing or some kind of ritual ceremony or some kind of ritual worship to make sure that they're clean. So Jesus says, go learn what it means to care about people more than going through all of the rituals that you go through to be a child of God. Go learn to be concerned about these people. See, their concern was not that these tax collectors and sinners were lost. Their concern was, I want to remain pure. I want to be clean. And so I'm not going to endanger my cleanliness to associate with these people. And Jesus says, go learn what it means to care about these people more than caring about your ritual cleanliness that you're going through. Okay, that's the first setting. Now let's go to the second setting, which is in Matthew, the 12th chapter. A little bit different situation. And in some ways a little bit more difficult, at least for me to understand. The 12th chapter, beginning verse 1, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some uh, heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, before we go any further, they weren't doing something that was unlawful. They were doing something against the tradition of the elders. It wasn't, there wasn't anything in the Old Testament law that said they couldn't do that. But the elders of the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the interpreters of law had said, Well, that's work. Picking a grain of hay, uh, of a head of grain and, and rolling your hands and eating, and that's work, so you can't do that on the Sabbath. They're, they're, they're violating the Sabbath. Jesus says to them, verse 3, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? And We're not going to go back and, and retell that story. He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priest and the temple desecrated the, the day and yet are innocent? Don't forget, don't miss that. He says, 
they did this, but they're innocent. We'll explore just a second why they're innocent. I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, the disciples, for eating bread, I'm mean, eating grain, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Two or three things going on here. First of all, it wasn't unlawful for them to do that. It's just against the tradition of the Pharisees for them to do that. But he said, he recalled two stories from the Old Testament, and he said, they technically broke the law, they technically broke what God said, but they were innocent. And though my disciples have technically broken your law, but they're innocent before God. Why? Because he says the Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Matthew doesn't record it, but Mark in that same context said that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that God, when he instituted the laws for the Sabbath, had people in mind. He didn't have himself in mind. He didn't have his keeping his law in mind. He did it so that I would not that I would have a day of rest. It was for me. It was for man. It wasn't for God. He says, you've forgotten that. What you're doing is making the Sabbath for God and trying to be meticulous about all the laws of the Sabbath as a part of worship to God, and you forgot that God made the Sabbath to help man. My disciples were hungry. And the purpose of the Sabbath was to take care of them. So they didn't desecrate the Sabbath. They did exactly what the Sabbath was supposed to do. It was to help man. And so he wants them to understand that all of those laws were fine and good as long as they didn't destroy the purpose that God created for the Sabbath. Because man, the Sabbath was created for man to rest. It wasn't the other way around. God didn't say, okay, I'm going to build a Sabbath and I'm going to make man and I'm going to make him keep a whole bunch of rules to make this day special for God. It was the other way around. He said, I made man and I need this day for man to understand that they need to take care of themselves so I've got to make them stop and rest and take care of themselves. So the Sabbath was created for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now both times Jesus is quoting from Hosea the 6th chapter in verse 6. So let's turn there and I'll give you a minute to find Hosea. I've got it marked in my Bible so I'll get there quickly. Hosea the 6th chapter in verse 6 and then we're going to look at a similar passage in Micah which is a couple of books closer to the New Testament. Unfortunately, Hosea doesn't give a whole lot of commentary on this, but this is what Jesus is quoting. In verse 6 of chapter 6 of Hosea, Paul, uh, God says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Now understand, and we need to remember, that burnt offerings were the way 
one of the ways at least that they worshipped God. When they came to an assembly, sometimes it was for some kind of burnt offering, and that was their worship to God. He says, I desire mercy and not just that sacrifice. I desire your acknowledgement of me as God rather than the burnt offering. Now, our first tendency when you read that is to, to, to think in terms of excluding one or the other. That's not what Jesus is saying. We'll see a little bit later on in Matthew. Jesus is not saying, I don't want you to worship. Or God's not saying, I don't want you to do burnt offerings. I don't want you to sacrifice. I just want you to have mercy. That's not what he's saying. But what he is going to say is that if you bring your sacrifice and your burnt offerings, but do not have the mercy that should accompany that, then I'm not going to recognize that worship. Go to Micah, the sixth chapter now, where Micah, in the same period of time, and, and one of the things that might help us in this is to realize that during the time of, of Micah, Hosea, Amos, Joel, the people of Israel, God's people, those that were claiming to worship him, had become a very prosperous, at least some of them were very prosperous. They seemed to worship a lot. They seemed to sacrifice a lot. But they oppressed the poor. They didn't have any regard for others. In fact, one of the prophets, one of those minor prophets in that period of time, talks about the people that had their ivory couches and their summer homes. And yet at the same time were robbing the poor. Were taking from those who had nothing. Were not taking care of the widows and orphans. They were figuring out ways to get themselves richer, and themselves to get more prosperous at the expense of others. And so Micah in the sixth chapter, again beginning in the sixth verse, he says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's shown you, O man, what's good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Good old Arkansas English, as far as I can can tell that simply says God's not as concerned about my burnt offerings that bring to me that I bring that I bring to him he's more concerned about what's going on in my heart am I being just toward people am I being merciful toward people am I treating them as God treats them does my heart reflect the heart of God because ultimately that's the purpose of worship is to respect God and learn from God how God feels toward other people and react to them in the same way. That's the context that Jesus quotes from. The people were prosperous. They were worshiping him. One of the prophets, Amos, I believe it is, and I didn't go look this up, so I may be, it's either Amos or Joel, 
At one point tells this same group of people, he says, take away from me your noise of your worship. Take away from me the sacrifices that you bring. I abhor your assemblies because your heart's not with me. Your heart's not reflecting the heart of God. So that's what Jesus is quoting from. I want your heart to be right rather than the sacrifice to be right. Now then, as we'll see in the commentary on this in Matthew 23, he wants both. But go to Matthew 23 with me because I think that Jesus is maybe not deliberately commenting on this, but he's talking about the same kind of heart that he wanted them to learn not to have. Matthew 23 and we'll start in verse 23. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, without neglecting the former. Both are important. He says both are important. It was right for you to give a tenth of those things because this is what I ask you to do. It's right for you to give a tenth of even these spices because it's the right thing to do. But I'm more concerned that you gave it without mercy and without faithfulness and without justice. You see, what they had done is they had forgotten the reason for the tithe. The reason for the tithe was not to give God stuff. The reason for the tithe, tithe under the Old Testament law was two things in particular. One of them to provide for the Levites, but the other to provide for the widows and the orphans and the aliens that had no land, that had no way of growing their crops, had no way of providing for themselves. And he says, you, you, you're doing right in tithing all of these things, but you don't care about the people. You've forgotten the reason that I told you to give a tenth. So he said, you should have done both. But his implication is, I don't want just the tithe. I don't want just the worship. I want the heart behind the worship. I want the concern for other people. Remember what Jesus said in another context? He said the whole of the law and the prophets is summed up in this one phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the sacrifices, everything in the law, everything in the commandments that God gave was to point them to loving each other and loving their neighbor. There was no value to God in the sacrifices themselves. He said, I only own, already own the cattle on a thousand hills. Why do I need you to kill a bull for me? I already own everything on the earth. Why do you need, why do you think I need you to give me something? Because I'm the one who provided for you. What I want you to do is when I provide for you, I want you to have some, my same heart to provide for others in the same way. I want, to, I want mercy, not just sacrifice. 
I want your heart to be right toward others, not just going through the motions. Now, so what kind of conclusions can we come to? Let me suggest two or three. The keeping of the commands of God today or any other time are not an end in themselves. Obedience is not an end in and of itself. Obedience is important. I don't want to minimize that at all. But obedience to the will of God, obedience to the commands of God is to lead us to something else. To lead us to be like Jesus, to, be, to lead us to be like God. Because the only way he can teach us is to tell us what to do. We're not going to figure it out by ourselves. Okay, I'm not going to figure out who God is without some kind of instruction from him. So the commands he gives me, the commands like, and you're going to think I keep harping on this, but it's one of the, one of the things that is a fascinating passage to me in Matthew 7, verse 21, where he says, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, not everybody that worships me, is pleasing to me, but only those who do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And what did he say just before that? Let me remind you of some of the things he said. Well, he said, for instance, uh, pray for those that persecute you. Don't only love your neighbor, but love your enemy too. If somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. If they force you to go one mile, go two miles. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. He says, that's how you worship me. Not just with your coming to church on Sunday night or coming to church on Wednesday or coming to church on Sunday morning or giving into the collection plate. You really worship me. Those are good ways, but well, those things are designed to help you learn how I am and who I am and how to be like me. Why do we give on Sunday morning? Because God's a giving God. And if we're going to be like Him, we want to give. Why do we give on Sunday morning? To bless other people. To reach those that are lost. To help those like we did at Community Care Day. That's a God heart in us. We become like Him. It's not giving just for the sake of giving. It's not singing just for the sake of singing. Singing is to teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Not forsaking the assembly. It's a good command. It's a good thing to honor. But why? He says, so that you can stir each other up to love and good deeds. The result of that command of God is what God really wants. Now, if I come to church every every you know every time that the doors are open, that's that's what I was taught when I was a kid, and I don't I'm not going away from that at this point. I still believe that I should do that, but I can go to church every day of my life, and every time the church doors are open, and never be what God wants me to be. Because he wants my heart changed. He says, I want mercy. I don't want you just coming to church. I want mercy, not just your sacrifice. 
I want your heart to change. I want you to be like me. I want you to be like my son. And so Jesus says to, to the Pharisees, go learn what this means. I suspect, at least I know in my case, I still need to learn what that means sometimes. What does it mean? I think at the very root of it, what it means is the very basis of all of this is God wants me to, over time, over a period of time, to incorporate into myself, into my heart, into my being, the same desires that he has. The same heart that he has. The same heart that allowed him, caused him, prompted him to come and die on the cross for me. I'm not there yet. But Jesus says, go learn what it means. Go learn what it means not just to come to church and not just to pray, not just to read the Bible. Those are all admirable, admirable things, and we do those things. But why do you study the Bible? Because it's a command? Or so you can find out what God wants you to be and wants you to do and the way he wants you to act and the way he wants you to serve others. It's great to pray every day, but what are we praying for? Just because we have to pray? No. Pray for God to lead us and to guide us to be the people he wants us to be. He says, go learn what that means. That I don't just want your obedience to my commands. I want your heart. I want your heart to be like mine. I want you to your yes to be yes, and your no, no. I don't want your hearts to lust. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. I want you to love your enemy, and the list goes on and on. He wants you, I want you to become as much as you can like me. That's my best understanding of what it means when Jesus says, go learn that I want mercy and not sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, continue to teach us. We're hard-headed sometimes. We're slow to learn sometimes. Our pride gets in the way. Our past gets in the way. Sometimes a misunderstanding gets in our way. But Father, help us to learn what it means to have the heart that you have, the love that you have, the concern that you have, the sympathy that you have, the desire to care for others that you have, rather than simply going through the motions of obeying you because it's a command. Help us to learn to be truly people with your heart, with your love, with your care, with your forgiveness, with your compassion, and all the things that you are, help us to learn to be that. Be patient with us, Father. Forgive us when we fall short of that. But help us constantly to be trying to learn to be your people. It's in Jesus that I pray. Amen. If we can help you in any way.
tonight. We're going to sing a song to encourage you. And if you'll make your way to the front or find one of the shepherds somewhere in the back of the auditorium, we'll be glad to help you any way that you can. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>